Welcome to episode 101 of Goodwill Hunters, brought to you by Goodwill Media. I'm your host, Rachel Mason-Nunn. Thanks everyone for your support of our 100th episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be making an announcement in the coming weeks on what's next for Goodwill Hunters, so stay tuned for that. Today we're talking about Kylie Moore Gilbert. Kylie is an Australian academic currently imprisoned in Iran. Kylie's situation is something I think about regularly. It's horrifying, heartbreaking, and something that many of us who have worked overseas may have feared in the past. In this episode, I speak to two of Kylie's friends and colleagues, Dara and Marika, about Kylie. We discuss her arrest, her transfer to Karchuk Prison after two years of solitary confinement, and the quiet diplomacy versus the more public diplomacy that their campaign to free Kylie has grappled with. There are links in the show notes to learn more. I hope you find the discussion insightful, and I'll speak to you next week. From 27 to 30 October, the development networks of Australia, New Zealand and the Pacific, ACFID, SID and Pianco, will be hosting the inaugural Oceania Connect Digital Regional Conference. Our region faces unprecedented challenges, including COVID-19 and a changing climate. With only 10 years to 2030, now is the time to shift the power, raise the ambition and meet the sustainable development goals. Oceania Connect will bring you international keynote speakers, six plenary panels and over 25 concurrent sessions to motivate, challenge and inspire. So no matter where you are, secure your ticket for this digital conference at oceaniaconnect.delegateconnect.co or find the links in the show notes below. Thanks, Dara and Marika, for speaking with me. If you can start by explaining what the Free Kylie campaign is and how you both know Kylie, that would be great. Well, Dara is actually going to explain what the campaign is, um, but I can certainly tell you about my relationship with Kylie. So, yeah, so I met Kylie uh, you know, for the first time in 2016 at a Middle East Studies Forum conference. Um, our the group of people that is involved with working on the Middle East in Australia is pretty small. So we're quite a tight-knit group and we're generally very supportive of each other's work. And um, I remember Kylie there, but just uh, approaching me and uh, being very warm, being very friendly. Um, and then afterwards, she uh, contacted me by email and said how nice it was to um, connect there. And she was trying to organise, again, a kind of more uh, a group of academic at Melbourne University where I was based at the time um, trying to uh, organise a group there of scholars working on the Middle East so that we could network more and create more collegiality and a community um, and she wanted uh, she asked me about that and we kind of got to know each other through that um, because the scene in Australia for Middle East studies is so small. Um, we then kept in touch and I sent her, you know, we, we sent each other different requests for different lectures that were on and different things that were happening and we caught up for coffee uh, around the university and things like that. So my overwhelming um, sort of impression of Kylie is just someone who's very warm, very kind, uh, very... Uh, very sharp thinker about uh, what she was doing, very clear about what she was doing, but also very keen to 
build it, build networks and um, get to know people in the Australian uh, academic community and who are working on the Middle East. Thanks, Marika. Dara, over to you. Uh, so the Free Kylie campaign is a movement of friends and colleagues and supporters of Kylie, and we are calling for the government to do more to secure her release. We were founded earlier this year after her letters that she wrote to Scott Morrison were released. And these letters were incredibly powerful, both in terms of a reminder of the horrendous conditions that she's living in, but also they're a real cry for help and a cry for the government to do more. So we've met for many, many months to plan this. We obviously, uh, you know, have been totally guided by the idea of do no harm. You know, we don't want to make things worse for Kylie and we are only too aware of the government's call for quiet diplomacy. And so we spent months meeting with members of parliament and other families of prisoners overseas, former prisoners um, in Iran or from Iran, uh, and collect as much information as we could. And we still weren't really clear as to whether we'd take a public or a private advocacy approach on the eve of her being moved to Karchak prison in late July. But then one morning I woke up and I saw a post by Reza Khandan, who is a prominent Iranian human rights lawyer, which said she'd been moved to Karchak prison, which is known as one of the worst prisons in the world for women. And I posted this on Twitter and reached out to journalists to see if they could confirm it. And they all reached out to DFAT and they couldn't get anything back. And it took a couple of days for DFAT to comment. And it was just so clear when they finally did that they'd learned this either from the media, from us, from, from somewhere in the public, you know, and DFAT was on the back foot. And it just confirmed to us that despite two years of quiet diplomacy, two years of polite approaches to Iran, hadn't even won DFAT a courtesy call to say that Kylie was being moved and nor had it protected Kylie from this serious deterioration in her treatment. And so we came out publicly. We felt that we could no longer in good faith stay quiet while our friend and colleague was being so let down by her own government. And so we've started a campaign which uh, we hope will raise awareness of who Kylie is and to pressure the government to do more. We believe that it will, this case will be resolved diplomatically and that the diplomacy is the only solution, but we don't believe that the Australian government's doing what is necessary at the moment. It is worrying to think that DFAT wasn't informed that Kylie was being moved between prisons. Yeah, I think so. Perhaps they did, but certainly their public response was uh, that they, their first public statement was, we are seeking confirmation from Iran about these reports. So it certainly didn't seem that they had any prior warning about it. And that set off serious alarm bells for us because despite all of that quiet diplomacy, all of that, um, you know, whatever they've been doing and the fact that Australia and Iran have had a really strong relationship for decades, it's Australia has failed to use that diplomatic capital in any way to protect Kylie. Okay, let's go back to Kylie's arrest. How common is it for academics and researchers to be arrested whilst working in Middle Eastern countries? So unfortunately, it's becoming increasingly common. And that's not just in the Middle East. This is by authoritarian regimes globally that academics, researchers, journalists, human rights activists are, you know, face a greater threat today than they ever had before. Um, but certainly in the Middle East in recent years, academics, foreign academics have faced greater threats. In 2016, the Cambridge PhD student Julia Regini was killed in Egypt 
by security forces. And in 2018, Durham University PhD student Matthew Hedges received the death penalty. Uh, that was later overturned and he was released, but it was a really, really terrifying escalation by the UAE government where he was doing research. And according to our research, Iran has arrested 13 foreign and dual national students or academics since 2015. So yes, there is an increasing trend among authoritarian regimes of intolerance of researchers. And, uh, but I think it's also important to be clear that while this is an increasing trend against foreign researchers in recent years, these regimes have treated their own scholars like this for many decades. But I think what's different in recent years in relation to foreign researchers is that it's also a sense of impunity, that there are no consequences for this. And so authoritarian regimes right now are feeling more and more confident in their ability to, to arrest you know, innocent civilians who are going about their work in order to prevent potential criticism. And Kylie would have known of those risks, just as you know of those risks, but it doesn't seem to deter people from working in Middle Eastern countries, and nor should it really. No, I mean, you know, there's obviously risks in uh, all authoritarian regimes. Every regime that we research is, you know, comes with its own risks. And part of that risk is that uh, there are red lines in these countries that you can't step over, but they're invisible red lines and they move all the time. So something that I might think is okay today may not be okay tomorrow. So that's, that's a problem that all researchers and all journalists face. In terms of Kylie, Kylie is incredibly careful as an academic. She's not a maverick. Um, and I don't think she had any reason to fear traveling to Iran. She works on Bahrain, she doesn't work on Iran and she's not an Iran researcher. So in fact, she works on the Bahraini opposition, which is known to be friendly to Iran. So she's not a critic of Iran in any way. And I would say in 2018, maybe a hundred researchers went to Iran and 99 came home without an issue. And that's, that's really what this case is about. It's not about what she did or didn't do. It's that she's incredibly unlucky. She wasn't research, uh, She wasn't arrested because of what she was researching or what she did. She was arrested because she's an Australian academic and therefore had this intrinsic value to the Iranian regime in terms of its hostage diplomacy goals. So we know that Kylie was arrested at Tehran airport by the Revolutionary Guard after fellow academics flagged her as suspicious. Is that true? Did fellow academics flag Kylie as suspicious and what would have been so suspicious about her? So I can take a stab at that if you like. So, I mean, from our point of view, there's nothing inherently suspicious at all about Kylie. I mean, she's a very friendly, a very open, a very generous, lovely person. So, um, as Dara just said, she doesn't research Iran specifically. She's not a critic of Iran. Um, but from our point of view, there's absolutely nothing uh, suspicious about <laughs> her as a person um, and like Dara's already said I, we think that this is just purely a case of um, hostage diplomacy on the part of Iran uh, she's she was targeted because she has some sort of intrinsic value but simply because who she is where you know what she does where she's uh, from and there's some value in that for Iran and that's why she was uh, arrested at the airport. So is it possible that fellow academics didn't flag Kylie as suspicious? That is possible. Uh, we, I mean, that's uh, the the reports that we're getting from Iran and from the Republican Guard are that you know she was uh, tagged as suspicious. What that actually means in reality, we don't know. That could just be purely uh, a cover for simply arresting her for the hostage diplomacy that they want to conduct. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's not an awful lot of truth or, you know, around, so it's very difficult to know what, what, what did happen and what didn't happen. Um, all we know is that Kylie is innocent. So Kylie is now imprisoned in Garchak Prison, which is regarded as the most dangerous prison in the world for women, given the inhumane psychological and, and physical conditions that they're in, which is a pretty horrifying thought. Do you have any sense of what conditions are like there right now for Kylie? Yeah, so, I mean, Karchak Prison is, it's, it's known as the worst prison in the world for women. It's certainly the worst women's prison in Iran. It may be the worst prison in Iran. Um, it's a former chicken farm that's been converted into a prison. So, uh, you know, it's known for its poor hygiene and sanitation. It's massively overcrowded. It doesn't even have a safe drinking water supply. If you want safe drinking water, you have to purchase it at the prison. And it's, it's a really violent place. It's not, um, inmates don't just face violence from guards, but also within the inmate population. So it's a really, really scary place. There's, um, you know, substantial, significant reports of violence, including rape from within the inmate population as well. Um, and right now it's the site of a significant COVID-19 outbreak. So, you know, this is not an international prison. This, there is no precedent that we can tell for foreign nationals to be transferred here. And I think it's an absolute outrage and an affront to the Australian-Iran relationship that, uh, you know, Kylie has been transferred there. And I'm frankly deeply disappointed that the Australian government hasn't been more vocal. This is one of our own languishing in a former chicken farm. It's interesting that you say that there's no precedent of transferring international prisoners to Garchuk and yet Kylie was transferred. It doesn't make sense. No, no, and we don't know and we can't really speculate on why she was or wasn't transferred there. Potentially it would be to increase pressure on the Australian government in negotiations. Um, Whatever it is, you know, Kylie's just a pawn in the middle of this disagreement between the two governments and it, you know, is having and enormous uh, consequences for her. So the only direct contact that's been had with Kylie is through Australian Ambassador to Iran, Lyndall Sachs. And Ambassador Sachs said that Kylie was well and had access to food, medical supplies and books. Should we believe that? Uh, From what we know, the last time Ambassador Sachs uh, saw Kylie in prison was the 2nd of August, so that's already quite a long time ago. Um, So we suspect there's a lot that they they don't really know about her condition either. And as Dara said, Karchak just sounds, from what we know about it, it just sounds like an absolutely terrible place for anyone to be for any length of time. And we have to remember that before even being transferred to Kachak, Kylie was in solitary confinement for quite a long time of her two years uh, imprisonment. She's been over two years uh, imprisoned in Iran now. So it kind of begars belief to sort of this kind of language. I mean, maybe it's kind of diplomatic speak, but this kind of like, it's hard to believe who could be well, who could be well in such an environment. as this so um as far as we know she doesn't have really safe access to to appropriate food uh 
that she needs and and to, as Dara mentioned the clean uh, the drinking water supply at Kachak is troublesome um, she has to purchase uh, drinking water clean drinking water bottled water and that uh, apparently was an issue for a little while uh, being able to have uh, having the money to be able to do that which is meant to be supplied to her through the Australian Embassy in Iran um, so basically we're just not clear what the Australian government is doing um, is trying to do you know trying to do we're not uh, confident that it's doing everything that it can to improve her situation given uh, the severity uh, of her situation so what level of engagement have you had with the Australian government and with DFAT since starting the Free Kylie campaign? Are you speaking with them regularly? I mean, I can maybe only say that I guess the Australian government thinks obviously that this quiet diplomacy is the best option to secure Kylie's release. We as a campaign feel that after over two years of her being incarcerated, plus the move to Karchak, that that quiet diplomacy effort and that quiet diplomacy way hasn't gotten us anywhere. Um, So we'd like to be seeing them do more and to put greater efforts into uh, securing her release, ideally coming home to Australia or at the very least to have a humanitarian furlough at the embassy in, um, in Tehran. Yeah, and I think if you look historically, you know, I, it has been public campaigns that have always led or, you know, pushed governments to to come to an agreement to to achieve the release of these people. So I think it's really important that we do that and that we continue to put pressure on the Australian government because, as Mariko was saying before, you know, um, seeing statements out of the Australian government that Kylie is well, you know, I think is quite concerning to a lot of her supporters because, you know, she's been, she'd spent two years, almost two years in solitary confinement by the time she was transferred to Karchak prison. Um, you know, I wouldn't be well in those circumstances. And it was quite alarming to a lot of us just how similar that statement was to actually the statement the Iranian government had released the day before. Um, it's not quite clear why they're not being open about this and why they're seeking to paper over what is an absolutely horrendous situation for poor Kylie. And just, I guess just to add to that too, I think... Um, the Australian government has seemed to be quite cagey and not given much information to the press or to the public about uh, Kylie's case and where she's at, as, as Dara said, and was, as we've alluded to, these kind of blanket statements and these kind of weasel words of, you know, she's doing fine, she's doing well. They, they just don't tell us anything. So it's really um, seems uh, in the scheme of things as a way to kind of Wash, I mean, I don't know behind the scenes, but it seems uh, on the face of it that they're either trying to not not have that attention or just, um, you know, put it to, to, to the side, I guess, and prioritise other issues. So I guess what we're trying to do with this campaign is bring it, reprioritise it and uh, make it more front and centre of mind for the, for the Department of Foreign Affairs and for people in Australia that, and globally too then uh, pressure the Australian government to do more. Yeah, and I mean, we've been quite concerned too by, um, you know, DFAT's lack of communication with journalists that contact them with queries. You know, it's often taking a week or something for them to even get anything back or the same with members of parliament as well, just lack of accountability on Kylie's case. We've spoken to a lot of other campaigns as well 
internationally and it seems quite standard that uh, foreign officers do this. They tend to not like scrutiny of the of how they're managing the situation, um, you know, which is obviously really bad in a democratic sense. But, you know, other campaigns have said to us, look, our, our foreign office, you know, basically tried to gaslight our campaign. They tried to say, you know, you're you're crazy. There's nothing wrong. You're making a big issue out of nothing. There, you know, the your family member is fine and. Kylie's not fine. She's been languishing in prison in Iran for more than two years with zero progress in her case. You know, it doesn't matter if she is the strongest person on earth. She's not fine. And that's not fine that she's been left there. I was going to say also that that's why it's really important uh, for people that want to help out to write to their MPs and to follow up on the, that, those letters as well and to really sit on the MPs and sort of, you know, really demand a response. I know when I wrote to my MP the other day, I got a response saying, yes, uh, he'll, he'll raise it with the, the minister. Um, and I was, I wrote back and I said, yes, and I'd like to hear the outcome of that. And in a few weeks, I'm going to write to him again and say, what is the outcome of that? So I think, um, I mean, obviously one letter is fantastic. And if people can write one letter saying that they demand the release of this Australian citizen from Iran, Iranian jail, that would be amazing. Um, but ideally, what we'd love to see is just a follow-up and it's just, uh, you know, I think we deserve it to have some answers about what the Australian government is doing in this regard. You did say there that Australia has a good diplomatic relationship with Iran. And just for the sake of some context, because your knowledge of Iran is, is far greater than mine, um, does Australia have a good diplomatic relationship with the Revolutionary Guard? Uh, no, I don't think Australia has a formal relationship with the Revolutionary Guard Corps, but I mean, it certainly does have a strong relationship with Iran. Um, you know, Australia established its embassy there in 1968. It's had pretty much continuous diplomatic representation in Iran since then, including through the Iranian Revolution, you know, which was a time when most embassies pulled out and also through the sanctions era, um, you know, in the early early to mid-2000s when a huge number of foreign embassies pulled out. And even today, it's one of the few um, Western countries that has a, uh, you know, an embassy in Tehran, and that's something incredibly valuable to Australia. But the Australia-Iran relationship has been based on trade. It always has huge trade in, uh, in wheat and um, livestock and that sort of thing. And Australia has for a long time throughout this relationship demonstrated its ability to put questions of human rights and questions of um, that, you know, that sort of thing to the side to separate the two in its relationship. And it seems that, uh, you know, the response to Kylie's situation has been no different. It seems to be in many ways uh, that Australia, the Australia-Iran relationship is carrying on as business as usual. I mean, there were photos um, a few weeks ago of the ambassador, Lyndall Sachs, you know, at some public event, uh, associated with the parliament and you know it doesn't seem like that relationship is being leveraged in any way and in fact at the moment Kylie is being treated worse than any foreign national in Iran and that includes foreign nationals from countries whose relationships are far worse than Australia so at the moment it's not clear what that relationship has meant um, for Kylie but it seems to have counted for very little. Okay so to finish then a look to the future What's the best case scenario and what's the worst case scenario? So 
I think the thing to remember for Kylie is that Kylie is a pawn in Iran's hostage diplomacy policy. This is something that Iran has done. Um, you know, since the 1979 revolution, it's a fundamentally transactional country, it's rational, and it has really clear goals. And in arresting Kylie, it had really clear goals. It wanted something from Australia. I don't know what that is that it wanted. I don't know if Australia knows what it wanted. I hope it's having those conversations, but I don't know. But I think it's really, really, really important to highlight that this is the context in which Kylie was taken. And it's in that context that we've got to remember Kylie will come home because Kylie, you know, it's they're putting her through hell, but she's valuable to them. So I think, you know, her supporters need to know for the future that Kylie will come home. This will be have a happy ending. The question is how long it's going to take for Kylie to come home and how much damage is going to be done to her in the meantime. Two years as it is, almost two years in solitary confinement before she was transferred to Karchak is going to have enormous psychological consequences for her as it is. And so I think going forward, the question, it's not if, but when, and, um, you know, it's a question of when our, the Australian government is going to muster the courage and the effort that it needs to, to get her home because, frankly, you know, a great injustice is being done to her every day that she remains there now and will be. Every day she remains there now will have consequences for many more days when she gets home. I think Australia, the Australian government needs obviously to be doing way more than it is in this regard. It needs to be thinking outside the box. It needs to be reaching out to any and all allies that it might have throughout the whole world. And that might include, for example, members of um, different members of parliament um, in, of the Hezbollah that are in Lebanon that are allies and have links with the Iranian uh, government and the Iranian Republican Guard. Um, it needs to be uh, talking, it needs to be engaging, it needs to be doing a lot more. We need to see that it's doing a lot more than uh, what it is because at the moment we don't see it doing relatively anything. <laughs> um, and like Dara said, I mean, this is, this is just, uh, Kylie is just a pawn in a game, in a bigger, much bigger game. And we trust, we want to trust that the Australian government knows more about what what that game entails than we do, and we we sincerely hope it does. We're not, you know, hope 100% confident that it does, but we want to hope that it does. Um, and we want them to be doing more to kind of win that game and to bring our friend uh, home because she's just been there, you know, way way longer. She shouldn't have been there any a day longer than she had planned to be. And unfortunately, she's been there for over two years now, and she she just needs to come home. That was episode 101 of Goodwill Hunters brought to you by Goodwill Media. I'm your host, Rachel Mason Nunn, and I'll speak with you next week.